everyone. Welcome to Way of Life podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life Podcast. Well, John Mark Homer, it's uh, so good to have you on Way of Life Podcast. Thank you so much for um, for coming on and, and giving of your time. I, I genuinely really appreciate it, and, and it's just so awesome to have you on the on the show. No, it's great to be here. I just wish I could be with you in person. It's winter. We're here in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. It's winter. And the <laughs> idea of Australia right now sounds amazing. We were just we just came through a winter blizzard and we lost power for four days almost oh, wow. to, the, to, to the minute. So it was freezing cold. Oh, no. So it's, it's the opposite I'm over just, here. It's, it's really hot. I know. <laughs> You're wearing your T-shirt yeah, on the other end of Zoom and I just feeling a little jealous i'm not gonna lie <laughs> um well before we get into i really want to pick your brain about your book the ruthless elimination of hurry um but before we get into that i thought we'd do uh something a little bit of an icebreaker something a little fun um so obviously you're in in portland oregon um if i said that right in the usa yes um i'm yes. in brisbane in australia bris vegas um to the locals and um so i wanted to play a little bit of a, a game around uh how much you know about australian slang um okay. i know you've been here a couple of times uh but right. so you might have a, a heads up or, or a little bit further down the road than some people so i want you to say say for instance you had a friend with you um, at your church and you had to translate these slangs. So I just want you to do your best. Is that okay? Oh yeah. We'll see. We'll see how far I get. Not <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> we speak in full words here in yeah. the United States of America, <laughs> not the, the, the uni stuts or yeah. whatever, <laughs> whatever you would call it. I love it. Alrighty. Um, so if I say to you, Hey mate, chuck a Yui down there. What am I saying? Hey, mate, chuck a yeah. Yui down there. No idea. I mean, hey, mate, hi, person, friend, chuck yeah. a Yui. Is that like a U-turn? Oh, we got it. Yeah, it is a U-turn. So that's... Yeah, that's chuck. Like, I've not heard chuck. Yui, make, that make, I've heard that, but chuck, I'm not, <laughs> I've not heard that. <laughs> chuck a Yui, not yeah. make a Yui, not take a Yui, chuck a Yui. Chuck a Yui, yeah. <laughs> no, we love our slang. All right, I've got a couple more. Um, if okay. I, this one's a bit harder, but if I said to you, I just had a prank, uh, but the toeys are on the way. What am I saying? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> you're kidding me. That's real. <laughs> that's, you're not making that up. No, this is a real thing. I've just had a so prank, I, but the toeys are on the way. <laughs> okay. What is it? Uh, I just had a car crash, but the tow truck's on the way. Okay. So help me, help me with this. <laughs> <laughs> slang makes logical sense for words that you use all of the time and experiences that are common. Yeah. You know what I mean? To just shorten it like a person you talk to all the time, a nickname. Yeah. A car crash 
Hopefully you never have one, or maybe you have one in two in your entire life. Why do you need a short version of a car crash? We're just so chill that common in Australia or something? Yeah, uh, probably, yes. Oh, my goodness. All right, last one. Let's see if I do any better. Uh, this myself. one, I, you might have a bit better of a, a, a chance on this one. So when I say, mate, chuck another couple of snags on the Barbie, what am I saying? Chuck another. Uh, put another something on the barbecue, but I don't know what snags are. Snags? Have a yeah. wild guess. Steaks, maybe? Oh. Hamburgers? They're sausages. Hot dogs? Sausages. Sausages, there you snags. Go. Chuck another this snag is, yeah. on the barbecue. Okay, so the last I, I love, I will chide you for your improper grammar, but I adore Australia. I love Australian <laughs> culture. And my last time I was in Australia, I was staying with this wonderful Australian family and or we were hanging out with him and they put on this like video called how to speak australian have you seen that oh yeah 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 i've seen that yeah that's funny and it i apparently it was done by two youth pastors i don't know but it wasn't a christian video it was just a video and i thought it was i'm watching it with like 10 other australians are all watching this yeah and it's just like this goes through every single slang word they can think of and i don't <laughs> even remember these so they clearly it was not exhaustive and i was like started laughing like this isn't real like you don't actually say these words yeah. you know what i mean like oh no every single one of these words we say <laughs> it's so funny I, I so appreciate australian culture for this just for this kind of thing it's just so unique and funny anyway oh wow <laughs> thank you so much for um uh, for giving me a giggle on that one mate um but uh i wanted to spend uh, get into the get into the serious stuff you know um i wanted yeah. to spend a little bit of time maybe about 15 minutes see how we go on the problem of hurry so yeah you mentioned in the book that one of the greatest problems of our day is hurry and um but you even recognize and kind of when i even when i started reading the book i'm like hurry like that's one of the most like crazy like epidemic type things of our time like it's it's not normally what you'd kind of pick maybe you'd pick like injustice or like poverty or racism yes. or something um but so i wondered if you could um explain this idea of hurry um and tell us why it's actually so detrimental like what is it and what kind of effect is it having on us yeah, you know, I, the, the book is named after a quote or based on a quote that just rocked me years ago by the philosopher Dallas Willard, mm. who once said, he called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, and then said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Mm. And yeah, my experience was the same as yours. Like when I first, when I've when I first like came across that saying um, on one level, like there was this deep resonance, like you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from mm. your life. There's a deep, like inner tuning for it kind of. Yes. But then like his logic, if it's the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, I was like, really? Like the great enemy. I mean, yeah. I live in again, Portland, Oregon, which if you know anything about America is like one of the most secular far yeah. left and, honestly, over the last year, one of the most disturbed cities in the world, yeah, right. for, for sure in the Western world and for sure in America. All right. And so like, I was thinking like hurry, like, yeah, exactly. I would have made a list of, I don't know, the top 10 and yeah, yeah. it would have been all the things you said and a bunch of other ones. And I don't think hurry would have even made the list, Yeah. but the longer that I sat with it, 
the more I really came to agree, you know, if you think about the New Testament's triad of kind of virtues and inner dispositions of the heart that form kind of the interior life of a disciple of Jesus. If you, if you want to summarize them with the new Testament trifecta of love and joy and peace, Mm. which I would argue are the byproduct of the kind of Pauline faith, hope, and love. Mm. If you think about that, all three of those, if you want to call them virtues or inner dispositions of the heart, love, joy, and peace are incompatible with the life of speed. So if you think about love, we could talk about each one, but if you think about love, you know, all of my most unloving moments as a dad, as a husband, as a neighbor, as a pastor, as a friend are almost always, not always, but almost always when I'm in a hurry and I don't have time to give somebody attention, compassion, to serve them, to sit with them in their pain, you know, cue the like, for me, I've, you know, three kids right now, like yeah. just trying to get them out of the house anywhere, even close to on time. <laughs> it's almost always an exercise at unloving fathering. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like get in the car, hurry. <laughs> I don't have time. Talk to me later. Stop crying. You know, like have an emotional <laughs> breakdown later. Get in the back of the car, you know, like we're late for church. I'm, I have to preach on hurry or whatever. And, um, you know, so we could go down the list, uh, you know, joy, like all of the experts on joy say that mm. it, it's about basically pres- gratitude, but also just presence to the moment Mm. living in the now whatever the now happens to be most of our psychosis comes from living in the past to the future peace i mean you don't have to like be a rocket scientist just imagine you know the last time you were running late for a flight in the in a previous world when that was a part of our life you know what was coursing through your body was anything but peace so my point is that hurry is incompatible with the three central dispositions of the Mm. heart of a disciple of jesus And I think it is very much incompatible with the way of Jesus. I don't think we can live the way of Jesus Mm. at the Western pace of life. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really good. So could you give us some, I guess, examples of what this hurry even look like? I know in your book, you've got um, like a list of 10 different things to almost diagnose if you have like hurry sickness or different things. And you don't have right. to go through all of them or anything like that. But like, what does this hurry look like on a, on a day-to-day basis? Well, I mean, the first thing that must be said is, hey, we're human. We live in a world this side of Eden and there's no world where any of us are never in a hurry. And there even is a, a right and fitting place for speed, such as if you like get in a car wreck and you need a rush to, or whatever you called it. What was the get name for a car a wreck? And you need a towie. Uh, exactly. <laughs> or you need a rush to the hospital or your yeah. two-year-old is running out into the middle of the street. Hurry out and get them, right? Yeah, yeah. But hurry is not just a life of speed. Like the essence of hurry is not a lot to do. It's too much to do and not Mm. enough time. And hurry is a function of both the body and of the soul. And what I mean by that is it's a function of the body, like where your body is literally moving at too fast a pace. You don't have enough hours in the day to get through your responsibilities and all that you have to do. And and that like neurobiological effect it has on you. Mm. But there's a deeper kind of hurry that is a function of like what Augustine fourth century African, what he would have called disordered loves. Mm. Like my, um, a mentor of mine, John Orberg has this great line where he writes that hurry isn't just the sign of a disordered schedule. It's a sign of a disordered heart. Mm. And so often it's this, it's this sign that we're 
just rushing to to perform an identity or to earn people's approval or to yeah. not let anybody get mad at us or to yeah. try to accomplish X, Y, and Z so that we can make a certain amount of money or be perceived a certain mm. way or be thought of as cool or godly in such a way. Yeah. And so often there's like a, there's an external expression of hurry, which is just our body is going too fast because we have too much to do and not enough time. But then yeah. there's an internal expression of hurry where we can actually be sitting on the couch, looking out the window, but inside we're stressed about all mm. of this stuff that we have to do and we're not able to just be present to what is. Yeah, yeah. And you you talk a little bit about um, things that, so like whatever you give your attention to is who you'll become and that yeah, it seems like um, whatever you give your time to will, will shape you. And so in amongst kind of, I, I saw what you said was this, there's this kind of, there's, there's a busyness and you can be busy with good things and, and bad things or useless things sometimes. Um, and then you can just have this state of hurry where, like you say, you've got way too much to do with the amount of time, the amount of resources, the strength and the power that you have, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, but could you like, what is some, uh, you in the, in the book, you talk about kind of like social media and, uh, the different things that distract us. Like what, could you identify just some of those kinds of things for us that take our time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously one of the objections that people have to kind of, um, my invitation to, to a slower and a simpler kind of life mm. is, well, I just don't have time for these, you know, the, the second half of the book is all about practices such as silence and solitude and Sabbath yeah. and so on. I just don't have time for that. I, I'm a young parent or I'm a pastor of a church or I have yeah, a demanding yeah. job or I'm in a, I'm a lawyer or I mean, whatever. Yeah. It's a thousand different stories. And, um, and there's some, there's some truth in that, but the reality is that most of us have plenty of time it's just that our time is incredibly porous and it's, in, it's easier to waste time now than it ever has been before. Mm. Um, a great example would be how people spend their evenings. Um, most of us, and I will put myself on this list, waste huge amounts of our life in those kind of post-work pre-bad hours mm. where we're often just watching TV or scrolling the internet or... Yeah you know, doing random things on social media, just the stats on how many hours a day most people are on their devices is staggering. And we're talking about most people are on their iPhone, not, not work stuff. This is social media yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Two and a half, two and a half hours a day. The average person watches four hours of TV or film a day. Crazy. So the reality is if all we did was like stop watching TV and get off social media and limit it, we, we would probably gain the equivalent of like a part-time job in yeah. our life back, you yeah, know, that we sure. could give to any number of things, spiritual or just health or extra sleep or deep relationships. 100%. Or So my point is that the first place to like, make more time or get more time is by a, a really rigorous relationship to technology and entertainment. Mm. That's a way that a lot of us can all of a sudden grab huge swaths of time that create space for us to maybe reimagine our, our life and our way of life with Jesus. Yeah, that's really, really good. What would you say then to, you kind of already answered one of my questions, but what would you say to the parent like yourself um, who, who's 
studying, who's got a full-time job and has kids and, and just doing so much and um, still kind of doesn't have the time. How would you uh, kind of, how would you, I guess, pastorally care for them in this kind of sense? Yeah, I mean, I would just start by asking questions, not by, you know, offering solutions. Yep. And I would, I would want to explore, um, are you actually as busy as you think? That'd be the first place I would say, or mm. is a lot of your time going away to social media or film or mm. shopping or, you know, too many, too many things. Second thing I would say is like, you know, do you need to take a hard, long look at your life and do you you know, rather than throw good money after bad, do you need to make some hard decisions to cut some things out of your life? And this Mm -hmm. is like, this is at the root. We could come back to this and talk about it in a minute of like the human condition, the Genesis view, like one way of reading the Genesis temptation is as a temptation to transgress our limitations Mm -hmm. and our place in God's ordered sphere. We can come back to that if you want. I would love for you to chat into that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just if you read Genesis as human beings have this unique position in the cosmos, that God's put them into this place, this well-ordered garden, he's called them to expand it. They have this role kind of under God, the creator, and over the creation. One way of thinking about the enemy's temptation, which is really subtle, it's like not a temptation to go murder somebody or steal money or lie. Hmm. One way of, you know, it's usually be like God's if you take of this thing outside of your limits. One way of reading that is it's an attempt for them to become a part of a divine council, become like God, become more than a human being, to Mm. transgress the human limitations. And, you know, in Genesis, human beings have both potential and limitations. They're like, we're image of God, so we like have this extraordinary potential in our DNA. We're also cut from the dust you know we're literally made out of dirt in in the in the mythology and the beauty of the story and so like there's something profoundly human and finite and mortal we live we die that that's Mm. about what it means to be human yeah and we live in a culture in particular if you come from a western middle class background Mm. that says a ton about reaching our full potential which i'm all for i agree with that i've written about that yeah but says little to nothing about accepting our limitations Mm. And, you know, that's where the enemy will often come into our, our heart. And if he can't, you know, kind of under promote us, he'll over promote us. If he can't get us to just waste time on laziness, he'll often cause us to, um, you know, overextend ourselves on mm. activity. Yeah. And so I think we have to recognize there's some kind of a demonic even temptation mm. behind the busyness of our day. And sometimes we have to come back. I had to do this, you know, about a year ago with a a commitment. I'm like a, once you make a commitment, you follow through kind of guy. Very much how I'm wired. But I had, um, I'd enrolled into a doctoral program that I was all excited about. And I just, there was a number of reasons I had to quit it. But one of them was realizing, man, I just at this stage of my life don't have the time. Like I can't do this (laughs) and do the other things I've already committed to well. And that was really hard for me. It was embarrassing for me. Mm. It felt humiliating. You know, it felt like I'm not tough enough. I'm not measuring up enough, but it was the reality. And then the third thing I would say is, you know, once you've gone through that first exercise of where are you wasting time? And then the second exercise of what do I actually need to 
to cut out in order to live the way of Jesus. Mm. At some point, there are just seasons that are hard. Like I'm in a season right now, it's really hard. I'm leading a church through a global pandemic and a city that's marked by social unrest. Mm. And it's just, this is not like an easy, happy time. I'm in my rhythms of Sabbath and morning prayer, but I'm working more than I would like to work right now. I'm exhausted a lot of the time. And that's not necessarily because it's not because I'm on my phone. I'm actually watching TV. Like it's not that it's Jen. It's not because I can like cut things out. It's because Mm. just right now there's a burden of responsibility on me. That's really hard. Yeah. I can't do this long term, but I can, you know, and I'm coming to the end. We've been in it for a year now, this pandemic. And I can't, you know, I can't really keep living this way much longer. We're going to try to, we're going to make it to spring, summer, and then we're just going to go on a long vacation and take a long break. (laughs) Sounds like you need it. So (laughs) there, there are, my point is there are seasons that, you know, you can't let the ideal of a unhurried life, you know, sabotage the reality of an actual life, you know? So you have to hold an unhurried life up as a vision Mm -hmm. without letting it become some kind of a tyrant where you feel that you're failing because you don't measure up. Yeah. So it's more of a, it's a journey and it's something that you, you strive for as well. Um, how do you, on, you you talked just then about, um, accepting your limitations and I love that kind of idea because you've said before that like our culture just doesn't like, it's just like you be everything you can be and you just, you shoot for the stars type thing. Um, but never talk about limitations. So I kind of had a question for you of, um, how do you kind of simultaneously strive forward to become better in what you're doing or, or, um, strive for the gospel whilst accepting your limitations at the same time? Like how do you hold them in balance? Yeah, well, I mean, I find Jesus so compelling because he had an extraordinary impact on the world for the gospel. Mm. But Jesus left all sorts of things undone. He came and Israel was living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Mm. He left and Israel was still living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Yeah, He came and large swaths of Galilean peoples were living hand to mouth in poverty and he left and large swaths of Galilean people were living hand to mouth in poverty, you know, um, you know, he left behind a small band of people that were loyal to him in his way Mm. that grew of course over time. But there's just this remarkable capacity for Jesus to both serve and give himself away and suffering love, but then also to retreat and to pray and to rest. Mm. And when his time was come to do it at the end of his life, he said, I finished the work that the father has given me to do. Mm. And I think a lot of us get confused between what's the work that the father has given me to do and what's all of the work that was added on to me by the expectations of my culture or the inner voice in my head or my own ambition or mm. ego or fear or grasping or materialism or careerism. And so I think the more time we can spend in prayer and in discernment with our closest friends and community, just asking God, like, what's the work that you've given me to do? Mm. Almost always my stress and hurry and overload comes from me taking on work that was not given to me by the father. Mm. It was given to me by my own ego or fear or overcommitment Mm. or expectations of other people or any number of things, you know? So So I, I, I really... I do not think we, we are not God. We are not omnipotent. We are not omnipresent. We can't do all things. All we can do is make our small 
ordinary, mundane, human, finite contribution to the grand unfolding unfolding of God's kingdom. Mm. And when we're done, to just fade away and trust that we're a part of a story and a kingdom and a church that is so much bigger than any of us. And anything else than that is just ambition and ego Mm. and empire building, masquerading as serving God, you know? That's so good. Thank you, John. That's that's really insightful. Um, you, you talk about the practice of, of silence in your book, and I think yeah. it's it's so needed. Like uh, I had even for, I just forgotten about it. Like you know what I mean. I was so hurried, so like such a loud culture, so distracted. I know. And so like for me, this sounds like the thing. Not like I mean, <laughs> one of the things that will just really help in in uh, giving clarity in in our minds and in, in a person of of and, and being able to actually hear God like you're talking about but you talk about this practice being not just kind of going to a uh, like a quiet place which is is part of that if you if you can do that um, but you talk about kind of silencing uh, the uh, like your inside uh, like your mind and so and what most people experience when they do this, and I know this is the case usually for me when I do it, is that when you kind of get into a silent spot and you're just not doing anything, you haven't got your phone the buzzing every two seconds, like my brain's just still going round in circles and like thinking about all these mm-hmm. different things. And, and like sometimes, I know you've said this before, but like anxiety and stress yes. and sadness and, and some good emotions as well can, can come up. But um, my question is, how do you navigate that, um, that kind of space so you don't just get discouraged and, and not do it again? Well, I think first off, you have to normalize it. So it's absolutely, if you go into silence and solitude and your brain is all over and you're obsessing about how mad you are at your boss and you're thinking about how hurt you are because of somebody said, and you're feeling all this stress over something three days later, Mm. welcome to being a human being. That is a hundred (laughs) percent normal. And I can come back to this in a minute, but Jesus experienced something similar in his time in solitude in Matthew four. The other thing I would say is some of that is actually a part of a very healthy process. So we, we get in trouble, especially for the introverted kind of type of people like myself. For us, sol- solitude can easily become uh, another na- a narcissistic form of like me time. Mm. And so like Henry Nouwen has this great line that solitude is not a private therapeutic place. It is the place of conversion. So we err. There is, of course, an aspect to solitude that is restful and life-giving, especially mm. for some of our personalities. Yeah. Um, but we err if we think the point of solitude is to like go take a nap and have a little me time and just relax and feel great and then come back to the stress of life. Yeah. The, the, the desert fathers and mothers from whom much of the solitude tradition comes from they all took Jesus in, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 and the story of Jesus' temptation in the desert as their template for what they were doing when they literally went out in the deserts mm, of okay. Egypt and Syria. Yeah. And when they read that story, they said that Jesus, here's that fascinating line in Luke, you know, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to mm. be tempted by the devil. Such an interesting like, what the line. Heck? <laughs> yeah. Crazy line. Yeah, yeah. And so in their mind, like they were going into solitude to fight Satan. Like I went, my son and I were in Ireland at pre-pandemic and we went and visited um, 
this island. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site called Skellig Michael, which is where, yeah, if you've seen uh, Star Wars, the new ones, it's where the the Jedi Temple scenes are filmed with Luke and Rey. So that's actually in real life. That's an island on the southeast corner of Ireland. It's the westernmost point of Europe. It's an ancient Augustinian monastery. It's over a thousand really? years old. Those wow. huts that are in the movie are actual monastic huts that are over Serious? a thousand wow. years. I mean, I'm, sure, that. I'm sure they made some set ones that could blow up <laughs> and stuff. But the, there actually are those huts. Yeah. They're there. And you can go sign up and tour it. And it's really interesting. They named it Skellig Michael. Skellig is a Gaelic word for rock formation or something like that. And Michael, they named after Michael the archangel in the book of Revelation because he's the one who goes to fight Satan. And they would go out there to what was the most, the westernmost point of, of Europe on behalf of the, the church all through Europe to fight Satan and to hold back wow. the waters of chaos. From this before anybody knew about what we now think of as North America, to hold back <laughs> the waters of chaos and, and fight Satan in prayer wow. on behalf of Europe. Wow. So, like, that's just a, that's a whole other way of thinking about solitude. Like, yeah. I'm going to go to this solitude place and I'm going to fight Satan. Mm. But that's, that's how many followers of Jesus thought about silence and solitude. It was the place. And mm. in particular, if you read like Evagrius of Ponticus, who maybe you've never heard of, that's fine. He's like one of my favorite Christian thinkers right now, yeah, fourth right. century out in the North of Egypt, brilliant intellectual, yep. wrote this book called the monastic handbook for combating demons. Brilliant <laughs> book. What a title. True so story. Good. What a title. Yeah. What a title. Brilliant story. What he did, and he and he really articulated it incredibly well, and this this tradition lives on in the Eastern Orthodox Church mm-hmm. and other veins of the church. They called it counter-talking. There was a Greek word for it. I forget what it was, anti-thoresis or something. But mm. they called it talking back or counter-talking. And the way that they read the Matthew 4, Luke 4 narrative of Jesus in the desert is about the inner dialogue that goes on in your mind when your mind is not occupied by a task or a TV show or what we're doing right now on Zoom. Yep. And the flow of consciousness through your, through your mind stream. And they would argue that the primary way the devil comes to attack us is through thoughts in our mind that mm-hmm. penetrate from the outside. They called them the logos mai in Greek or mm-hmm. the thought patterns or the words yep. or the, the kind of narrative things that go on in our mind. There's yeah. these inner videos that play in our mind when we're driving in our car or we're trying to read our Bible and pray. Yeah. And <laughs> instead, we're thinking about how we would look in this outfit or how dare this person say this to me the other day or will she text me back or <laughs> yeah. what if I get this other job opportunity? You know what I mean? All yeah. these inner videos that yeah. swirl through our mind. And, and they read that story as a way of a model of Jesus where when these thoughts would come into his mind, Rather than engage in the mental and they would say demonic shatter and internal dialogue, Mm. Jesus refused to get caught up in the internal dialogue. Instead, what Jesus was doing by quoting scripture was just turning his mind back to truth rather than engaging with the devil. Mm. So they took this as basically the overarching paradigm for what we now call contemplative prayer. Mm-hmm. which was basically a way to turn your mind to truth back and back. So Evagrius, in his monastic handbook for combating demons, <laughs> he, he is, he's the one that we get the idea of the seven deadly sins from that oh, comes right. from this book. Yeah. And so he would take a category like anger or lust or greed, mm. and he would have all of these different thoughts. And then he would say, against the thought of, 
and then he would put a scripture to replace it. So every time that thought mm. came into his mind, yep. he would just, rather than think about it, give into it, let the video play in his mind, he'd just mm. turn to the scripture. So yep. I've actually been working on this for my own life, my own like little mini monastic handbook for combating demons. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm loving it. Is that the next book you're doing, right? as, no. <laughs> uh, It's actually in the next book. Okay. I, have, I do have a new book coming out, and I have a little appendix on this in the back. Awesome. But... Um, <laughs> But true story. But uh, so I've been like thinking about this. So against the thought of, you know, and then I, I just have I'm making a list of afflictive thoughts mm. that come back to me on a regular basis. So like one of my fears right now and the anger of the online world is, you know, cancel culture that I'll mm. get attacked by an online mob or yep. I, I won't be able to preach the gospel in public anymore. Yeah. The laws will change. Like I'm, whether these are rational or not. These are fears that I feel as yeah. a pastor in a very secular, progressive, hostile city. Mm. And so, like, um, in this case, I, it's not a scripture I come back to. There's, it's a word I've been meditating on from my spiritual director who said, there are no barriers to use joyfully serving God forever. Mm. And I love that That's thought because so it means I could be fired tomorrow for preaching the gospel. I could mm. be canceled. I could go have to get a job doing something else. And it would not serve me from joyfully serving God. For, it would not oh, stop me amen. from joyfully serving God forever. So, good. so when those thoughts come, rather than give in to the inner videos of what if the Supreme Court does this? What if that happens? What if yeah. I get attacked by this new Instagram account? What if that, <laughs> that? Yeah. what if my sermon from last Sunday causes people to hate me? Yeah. Rather than giving in to all those internal videos, which lead to anger and fear and then mm. grasping for control and hurting people rather than loving them, I just turn my mind. Yeah. There is no barrier to me joyfully serving oh, God forever. So good. And so that's, I think that's what a lot of silence and solitude is. It's, yeah. it's learning to discipline our mind stream yeah. to take on the flow of consciousness that we see in Jesus. Oh, that's so good. Loved that. Um, I wanted to switch a little bit over to Sabbath uh, just for a minute. Um, yeah. So, I wanted to kind of hear how you would even define Sabbath rest because I know it might sound funny or it probably doesn't, but it's I think it's actually a fairly foreign concept to many people. Like you think of, at least in Australia, and I've, I think it would be the same in America, um, like shops aren't, are actually open on a Sunday. Like most Gen Zs right. don't even have a memory of that. Like I do, like, yes. and I'm a millennial. Um, so it's this concept of actually resting as a society is pretty pretty not on our radar. So I wondered if you could define that a little bit. And, and what do you even do on a Sabbath? Like, is it just 24 hours straight of, of praying and meditating and, and just reaching this kind of like Zen state? Or um, like, what, what do you even do on, on a Sabbath? Yes, that's me. Just Christian Zen yeah. all Sabbath long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, Sabbath is similar to Science and Solitude. Part of what happens on Sabbath, and it is a day of great delight, but is that all of the emotions you've been running away from and suppressing through busyness and entertainment and alcohol or whatever your work, church, whatever your things are, yeah. they all finally start to catch up to you and you're forced to feel mm. what you don't want to feel and let it pass through you in a healthy mm. way. And this is actually, it's not necessarily pleasant, but it's actually really healthy and beautiful yeah. part of what Silence and Solitude does, what Sabbath mm -hmm. does, what prayer often does for us. But yeah, I'm the same as you. Like I did first off, you know, I don't know what's, I don't know when it changed in Oz, but in America it was before my time where 
you know, Sunday has long been like an American day for shopping and football, not yeah. for rest and worship. You know, yeah. my dad generation, for sure, everything was closed on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. It was illegal to run businesses on Sunday. Mm. A large population of the church of the of America went to some form of church. American mm. church going was at its highest in mm. 1962 when my dad would have been 12. So like he grew up in a world where there was almost a cultural architecture of Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. That world, of course, is is swallowed up not just by oh. secularism, but by Silicon Valley and the iPhone and Instagram yeah, and shopping sure. and marketing and sports and all the things, you know. So, yeah, there's no cultural memory for our generation and below at yeah. all of Sabbath. And I grew up in a church tradition where there was actually a really high value for Sunday as more than just church. Like we called it the Lord's Day. Mm. And there was a little bit of a value like this day is special and it's unique. And this is a day for church. And we would go to church twice on a Sunday in the tradition I came up in. Mm. So there was a little bit something, but it wasn't Sabbath and how I think about Sabbath now. So when I was first introduced to the concept, it blew my mind. And my first thought was like, Sabbath, isn't that like a thing for Jews and Seventh-day Adventists and (laughs) not like for Christians, right? You know, and I didn't even realize that most Christians from every single denomination and stream and vein of the church all would use the language of and for sure the practice of Sabbath up until like the 1950s basically yeah. you know and it recent. was lost in like one generation with almost no thought as, yeah. a, as a society so i mean i talk about sabbath through four movements all four of these are different ways to translate the hebrew word shabbat that we read in genesis 2 yep. you know um so it's stopping it's resting it's delighting and it's worshiping mm. so stopping the word sabbath literally means to stop to cease so we mm. stop working we stop thinking about work you know uh we like there's all sorts of science on when you even just think about a stressful situation about work it releases the same chemicals into your body as if you're actually in the stressful situation we stop wanting it's a day to celebrate what we have not what we wish we had Mm. in in traditional jewish and christian culture you don't buy or sell on the sabbath Mm -hmm. as a way to index your heart toward gratitude and delight and contentment second it's about resting Um, you know, resting your body, resting your mind, resting emotionally, even Mm. resting spiritually. Interesting in the Orthodox Jewish tradition, and they just have like something 4,000 years of like wisdom on how to do this well. They actually don't, this is really interesting. They don't um, do any intercessory prayer. They pray, but not any intercessory prayer Mm. on the Sabbath because they view intercession as a form of work, which I actually think is right biblically. Mm. And you don't work on the Sabbath. So they'll pray on the Sabbath, but they don't like do intercession on mm. the Sabbath. They do that on the other days. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there's even kind of, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask God for things on the Sabbath. I'm just <laughs> so, saying that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, yeah. So it's you rest. Third is delight. It's a day to just literally, it's a day of joy. It's a mm. day to just completely turn yourself to the goodness of your life before God through practices of gratitude, through feasting together, through community, life and relationships, through doing what's life-giving. I always just say somebody like, what's the most life-giving? And not like fun entertainment stuff, but like what's actually life-giving for your soul? Is it walking in the woods? Is it having coffee with your best friend? Is it cooking? Is it listening to music and having a dance party? Is it worshiping at church? (laughs) Like where do you just come alive with Mm. God? 
you know, psychologists have this term pleasure stacking, which yeah, is yeah. where like what we intuitively do for our birthday or anniversary or Christmas, where we like Let's put a bunch everything. of things we all love. <laughs> we're going to do it all together. It's going to be the most amazing every day. We're going to go to brunch here and then we're yeah. going to get coffee here and then we're going to go here and then we're going to see this movie and then we're going to do this thing. We're going to buy this thing. It's going to be able to put all the great <laughs> things together. It's the best day ever. Yeah. So like we intuitively do that on special occasions. I literally and so, did like, that we, the other day for my wife. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Good husbanding. <laughs> So Sabbath yeah. is like a day for pleasure stacking. Yeah. You know what I mean? We save all of these things yeah. for a Sabbath at our house, you know? Mm. And then finally, and most importantly, it's a day for worshiping. It's not just a day to like chick- kick back and have fun and eat good food and be mm. with your friends. Yep. Yep. You know, in, in biblical language, it's a day that's holy to the Lord mm. or set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. Yep. Yep. It's not just a day to not work. It's an intentional day that you give over to whole life orientation to the goodness of God. Mm. And in that sense, you know, Sabbath is like, if you're thinking, yeah, but isn't all of life about worship of God? Yes. But think of Sabbath the way that we think of all spiritual disciplines, almost like training wheels to a bike or Mm. like scales to learning the piano or Mm. drills to learning soccer or fill in your example of choice. It's a discipline That is, you know, it's a 24-hour time period, once a week discipline Mm. of rest by which we cultivate a spirit of restfulness and worship Mm. and God orientation all seven days of the week, which is the Walter Brueggemann line, you know, people who keep Sabbath keep live all seven days differently Mm, and so that's always my warning to people like don't be careful with sabbath it will mess with you if you want your life to just stay the same don't sabbath (laughs) it won't just change one day of your week it'll change your whole life that's so good or god god through that practice will change your whole life yeah yeah it's a it's a good good change (laughs) um I have probably one more question before I want to chat to you about your book. Um, This one's a bit of a personal question for me, um, but I know it'll help many uh, pastors, but people in in similar situations as well. So um, I'm a a youth and young adults pastor at the church that I'm at. And, um, but you talk about, it's on the topic of Sabbath rest. And I know uh, just from listening to you and reading some of your stuff that you, you have a Sabbath on Saturday um, and you, you almost do this prep for Sabbath. Um, so yes. I wanted to kind of, I wanted to know firstly, how do you prepare for Sabbath? Um, but more importantly, and maybe, I, maybe the question isn't quite right and then you can just call me out on it, but I'm, more importantly, I just want to know how do you kind of leave everything at the door in a sense? Like, how, like, particularly you were even talking about how crazy things are at the moment. And I'm sure, like, even for myself, I, when I get to the, like my Sabbath day, me and my wife usually take off on like a Wednesday. I, I've got so many things just going through my mind, like people that I care about and love and that somebody, yes. something's happening over here or like, oh man, I still got to write my sermon or like, I've got to do this and this and this and, and like, it kind of it's hard to rest at times it's gotten easier over over time but i being that you're in a in a similar situation probably way more busy than i am or uh the the yeah the stress level is probably even higher for you at the moment but i wanted to hear uh how do you prepare for sabbath and then how do you how do you deal with all the stuff that goes on throughout kind of the other six days of the week yeah oh that's a great question I mean, first off, I want to be really careful here not to 
to create a fantasy kind of illusion of what Sabbath is. Mm. So Sabbath isn't a day when you're never unhappy and you're just walking around laughing all of the time and everything is wonderful (laughs) and you're in Zen-like awesomeness. Like, I mean, we're human, you know? And of course we carry stress and pain and into our Sabbath. And Mm. of course our mind tends to go to things after, in fact, my last Sabbath, which was wonderful, but I was exhausted. The last couple of weeks mm. have been really hard with yeah. some leadership stuff. Mm. And I went into it exhausted. I was just kind of, I wasn't nearly as happy as I normally am, am on it. Yeah. And I, the following day, uh, Sunday, I had to give this super intense, really hard to give teaching at our church. Yeah, right. And I was just like carrying that weight in mm. a sense before of like, what I mean, how mad are people going to get at me and Mm. like, how's this going to go and how's this going to be received? And, you know, so, um, I just want to normal, like that, that we're human, you know, and that, and that actually means we need Sabbath more, not less. It's not like a, a a counter argument. Well, we don't really need Sabbath. It's like the opposite, you know, it shows us how much we do need it. Other thing I would say is, you know, as, I mean, our Sabbath is really spacious. So there's lots of, white space and our Sabbath. It's not scheduled, you know, beyond basic things, which gives space for all of these thoughts and stresses and emotions to kind of come up Mm. in our heart and mind and kind of pass through. So there'll be often like a long time of morning prayer when I'm processing my fears, anxieties, stresses. Mm. Normally my wife and I will have a long kind of conversation Mm. where we're just kind of processing pain and stuff and it'll just kind of come out and Mm. get through us and then we'll often feel like a lot better on the backside of that you know and the last thing i'd say is you know the the miracle of the human body that the enemy uses against us is what you know scientists call the automatic responses of our body Mm. so our body carries these like muscle memory in us at an unconscious level Mm. that enables it to just do naturally things that once took a lot of effort. So a great example would be driving a car or riding a bike. Yeah. We don't like have to like when we first did those things, they were very hard. Mm. They required a high level of attention and focus and discipline and skill. And we were Mm. bad at it. We eventually got good at it. (laughs) But now our body has memorized how to ride a bike or how to drive a car or how to talk. Yep. or how to speak English or how to fill in the blank. And so now we do these things with almost no conscious effort. They just almost like sometimes you're driving in a car and you realize you just drove across town and didn't think about where you were because your mind was somewhere else. Yeah. It's a little terrifying. Um, this, this is the miracle of the human body. This is also how sin lives on in our body because mm. our body memorizes patterns of sin. Patterns of sin are even passed down to our genetic code by our, yep. by our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. And how do we get this? How do we get sin out of the muscle muscle memory of our body? That's a key task of discipleship to Jesus. But the gift of these automatic responses is what's really hard at first eventually just is so woven into us and our body just remembers. Mm. And so my body knows when Sabbath is coming. And it knows that the afternoon before Sabbath, we start at night. It is really stressful because yeah. we're like getting all the things done and finishing answering my text messages and powering yeah. off the things and <laughs> running errands and I got to do this thing and yeah. I got to be my, you know, like all the things, cleaning yeah. the house. And then it has this, this moment of just like, ah, uh, and it, yeah. it just, I will naturally like fall asleep at nine o'clock on Friday night really? because wow. I just, 
<laughs> oh yeah, my body will just naturally just like fall asleep really early because every Friday night I go to bed really early because there's no TV, there's no entertainment, there's yep, no yep. digital stuff. I'm wiped from the week yep, and I just yep. sleep. Mm. And I can't I can't say enough good about starting Sabbath at night. There's lots of reasons that yeah, okay. the best advice says to start at night. But um, but all that to say, th- there is something to that. And the last thought is. Learning theorists talk about what they call a J-curve. You're buying an internet browser, just Google J-curve image, yep. and it'll come right up. But if you can imagine like two, a graph with two axis point, mm. one is time, and the other is like uh, difficulty and proficiency, yeah, what yeah. happens when you start to learn a new skill is you actually get worse at it. It goes down first. Mm. bottoms out, then comes back up to the middle where it started and then goes up to get better. Yeah, okay. So an easy analogy, like if anybody's a musician, when I first started playing guitar was yeah. in like a pre, I'm, I'm old enough, but I learned to play guitar from people, not from YouTube. And like you would actually, you couldn't just Google. You I'm had with like you actually there. find a person yeah. and have, yeah, they had like, show me a chord, show me a new part, show me yeah. a new lick yeah. or whatever. So like most first time guitarists who didn't have a teacher or YouTube, you know, the intuitive thing is if you have a pick is you just down pick every note down, 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 down as you're playing a a lick or a riff. And how you're actually supposed to do it is down, up, down, up, down, up. And so I remember this guy told me, oh, you're doing it wrong. And if you only do down, you'll never be able to play very well. Your speed will be limited. You have to go down, up. So then I decided, all right, I'm going to learn how to pick properly, proper form, which is down, up, down, up, down, up. And I remember it was so frustrating yeah. because I got way worse at guitar. I was like <laughs> yeah. just getting okay. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all of these like songs and riffs that I could play, now I started to miss notes. Yeah. I played slow and I was clumsy <laughs> and I felt terrible at it. It was hard. took all this work and attention. Yeah, yeah. But then eventually I got back to where I was and then I got way better. Mm. So often what happens with Sabbath is like people are like, I already have a day off. I already go to church on Sunday and I like Sundays and I like Monday off and it's good. So that was a Sabbath thing. And then they'll actually try to do it and it'll feel like relearning how to pick. And all of a sudden all this, yeah, yeah they'll go down. They'll get worse. Yeah, like, that yeah, was yeah. a horrible day. I got in a yeah. fight with my wife. I was anxious about all these things. I was mad at all these people that hurt me during the week. Yeah, yeah. I just kept reaching for my phone. Yeah. It was horrible. Why would I do this again? And then people will stop right at the bottom of the J curve. Yeah, okay. And no, I'm like, oh, just stay with it. Yeah. Stay, give it time. That's good to get in the into the, your muscle memory. Mm. Yep. And if you stick, it took us years, years, mm. not weeks, yeah. years. Right. Give it time, yeah. and your body will begin to just remember mm. these inc- extraordinary life-giving rhythms That's so of good. stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. Mm. And I guess it does make sense. Um, that it would be kind of hard if you don't actually do it. And I, and I know this for a fact that when I, me and my wife started doing it, it actually was hard. Like we did have like little fights, yes. like so much came to the surface that we're like, I didn't even yes. know I was thinking about this. Like, so it is kind of like, oh, we should be enjoying this day, but like um, it should be nice. But I love what you've said. It's just like, yes. it is a journey and it's like the kind of the perception that it's going to be perfect and fine and dandy and, and rainbows everywhere is uh is kind yes. of a myth but it's so worth it um, and we have to remember as much as i love sabbath and it is a joyful day for me the the point of sabbath like the point of all spiritual disciplines is not to feel good and be happy mm. it's to become people of love yeah and uh so that's why you know solitude for example for introverts can be 
an act of narcissism, not yeah. an act of discipleship to Jesus. 100%. Like Sabbath is not a virtue. Solitude is yeah. not a virtue. Yeah, yeah. They are disciplines by which we cultivate the virtues. The virtues yeah. are love, joy, yeah. peace, patience, 100%. kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Yeah. Sabbath, silence and solitude, prayer will cultivate these disciplines. Mm. But I will cultivate these virtues, but yeah. these disciplines are not virtues. I'm not more godly if I yeah. have quiet prayer or more godly if I Sabbath. Yeah, I'm yeah. more godly if I'm more godlike, if I'm more loving, yeah, you know? Good. So we can't we can't define success as I had a great day and I was really happy. Yeah. Though I do think that Sabbath tends to become the best day of the week. <laughs> yeah. But success is over a long period of time, over mm. years and decades, through the practice of Sabbath. I'm becoming a less hurried, more rested, more loving, gentle, patient, compassionate person. Mm. That's success. That's so good. Thank you so much. That that was so enlightening. I loved that. Um, I want to take the, just the last bit of our time together to talk about your new Great. book. I, I was on, I didn't actually know that you had it. Like I knew it like a couple of months ago, but I was just searching for another book of yours, Garden City, because I hadn't read that one yet. And I saw on Amazon that there was Live No Lies, Resisting the World, the Flesh, and the Devil in the Modern Age. And I was like, oh, yeah, buddy, it's going to be so good. <laughs> um, so I wondered if you could um, tell us a little bit about that book and, and what kind of led you to write that. Yes, I, mean, I didn't even realize it was on Amazon yet. We haven't even like finished the cover and the <laughs> subtitle just changed. Oh, really? Yeah, it's ama that's amazing that you found that. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have a book coming out um, on September 22nd. Yeah. It is called Live No Lies. Uh, the, the updated subtitle is Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies that Sabotage Your Peace. Oh, cool. It is my attempt to kind of update the ancient Christian paradigm of the world, the flesh, and the devil, mm. or what ancient Christians called the three enemies of the soul. Yeah. For those of us living in a, a Brisbane or a Portland yeah. or a, a very secular kind of sophisticated world yeah. that doesn't really even believe in those things anymore, much less have a, a robust kind of grasp of them. Mm. And it really, the whole book's not about this, but the the, the kind of tip of the spear is about yeah. the role of lies in our society and our mm. soul and how they sabotage and deform and destroy us. Um, yeah. There's this great, there's a psychologist I love named David Benner who has this great line. He writes, the problem is not so much that we tell lies, but that we live them. Oh. And so a bunch of the book is about so Evagrius Ponticus, about the desert and about how lies about who God is, about who we are, mm. about what the good life is come into our mind and begin to destroy us from the inside out. Mm. And the tragedy is that what start out as lies often become true. You know, mm. if I, if I start to hear the lie that, you know, you're not worthy of success or your marriage is not going to make it, or mm. everybody is mad at you, or you don't have a call here. If I then begin to believe that lie and I begin to live that lie, mm. then tragically what was started out as a demonic lie from the enemy, it's not even true, can actually start to become true of my life. Yeah, right. And so it's about unmasking so the lies of the enemy that take root in our mind and are often like co-opted by what the Bible calls our flesh and normalized by what the scripture calls the world. So anyway, it's a really intense book. Oh, I don't know what it's it. going to do, but yeah. I'm excited about it. What, um, can I ask you one more question? What kind of yeah. led you specifically to write 
that book because obviously uh, you're a busy guy, but you and it doesn't take like two days to write a book. It takes quite a while. Yeah, so like, what was your motivation? Thing. Like, why this particular topic? Um, you know, just I think living and serving as a pastor in a just incredibly secular city, an incredibly progressive city, mm. and seeing so many people deconstruct their faith yeah. of, as millennials and walk away from anything remotely resembling orthodoxy and, and often and most of the time from Jesus himself and just the sadness in my spirit over that mm. and seeing that the idol, the idolatry of our era really is ideology on both mm. the left and the right. And of course yeah. I'm speaking as an American. I know yeah, it's very sure. different in your context. And so forgive me for my American centricity at times. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so really it's my, like my manifesto for, how do we stay true to the way of Jesus mm. in a super secular and for most of us, very progressive, not all of us, some people, the opposite problem kind of culture. Yeah. And how do we find like, how do we flourish here and find mm. deep life in God? And, yeah. and I've also just pastorally been incredibly, I've become really interested in what some call inner healing prayer or the healing of memories and, the yeah. role of trauma in our spiritual formation and yeah. how it sabotages God's will for our life. Yeah, yeah. And I've just become so pastorally aware of how many of us are living in bondage to lies, internal narratives that so are true. are sabotaging God's call in yeah. our life and and the need to expose those lies and get free. I mean, Jesus said when Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, mm. he was simultaneously saying that we are in bondage to lies. Mm. And there are external lies kind of from the culture and the culture wars and secularism and progressivism yeah. or conservatism. And then there are internal lies from our trauma, our yeah. experience, our family of origin, yep. demonic input into our own mind. Mm. And Jesus wants us free of those lies yeah, to just man. flourish and live in his peace. So, so I, I want that for me. I want that for more people. Wow. That's what the book's about. That's that's so good. I can't wait to read it. Um, so thank you, John Mark, for, for coming on the podcast. I really, again, appreciate you giving of your time. Um, how can we uh, support you, uh, like through book sales or just in general? How can we support you? Oh, that's, that's backwards. You're so kind. You don't need to support me. Um, if any of my work is helpful, you're welcome to it. There's a website under my name. I I do have books out and you're welcome to listen to the Bridgetown church podcast, but, um, no man, that's, that's, I'm just here to serve however I can and keep up the great work, man. I love that you're hosting these conversations. The questions that you're asking are the questions of our time, you know, and, um, it's the pastoral call so well done yeah thanks john do you prefer john mark or john i go by john mark actually it's so funny when people know me as a writer (laughs) first uh you know they often call me john i'm like who are you talking to it's because you know writers often put their middle name in but my i didn't name myself my parents named me john mark (laughs) before i had a choice in it and it's always been that so okay i go by john mark awesome yeah well thank you john mark uh (laughs) yeah i hope you You have a really great rest of your well night for you and i'll um yeah i look forward to chatting to you soon you bet peace to you matt take care (laughs) thank you matt